When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This week, in what has been uh, one of the m- more bummer weeks uh, in in Pod Like a Raven history, maybe uh, Gus Edwards, Marcus Peters, they were hurt within the past week. The Ravens had a game that they played in Las Vegas. All three of us were in Las Vegas. There's some hoarse voices, some headaches. One of us is wearing sunglasses. <laughs> Uh, but we're going to get through it. We're going to talk about the Ravens, we're going to talk about this game, and we're going to move forward. I'm Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, starting off first, Ray Charles himself on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, uh, surviving? Pulling through? I think that's probably the way to put it. As you can tell, I'm not going to be speaking in long. If the the one thing that you hate about this show is me rambling for way too long... I promise you, you're not going to get that today because I physically cannot do it. Um, had had a hell of a time in Las Vegas celebrating my buddy Matt's um, bachelor party. Very good time. We're not going to share all those stories on this show. That is not that format. But it's a bit somber today because of what happened uh, with the Ravens on Monday. You know, for us, early evening. But for you, most of you listening, Monday night. And so uh, I guess let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's just get into it. Let's do it. On the West Coast, Jace Evans. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Well, relatively good, I will say. Uh, <laughs> definitely a little bummed about the events uh, that transpired in Las Vegas on Monday night. But I will say, I, I, I'm less annoyed than I was as we walked uh, the several miles back to our hotel, Antonio. Uh, and I will say I'm less annoyed, um, than I was then. And the, the feeling that's really taken over me is one more of bewilderment. I cannot believe rewatching the game today as we record, 
I still cannot believe the Ravens lost this football game. It makes no sense. It's one of the strangest sporting events I think I've ever attended. Um, in terms of, well, what happened off the field, what happened on the field. It was very bizarre from top to bottom, all game, and the end especially so. Um, and, yeah, there's no shortage of things to talk about. So we can dive right into uh, what exactly happened. And I guess, even more importantly, uh, the problems from this game that I think we might um, see going forward this season. Uh, Jace, myself, and uh, the two other guys... In, in the stadium crew, John and John and Jared, we the, the one thing about Allegiant Stadium that is not great is essentially getting home from Allegiant Stadium, and so we made the decision, maybe because of how bummed out we we were, to try to walk back to the strip, mid strip is Ooh. where we were staying. Oh no! And it was, I mean, you talk about like the redemptive walk through the desert. That's <laughs> what it was, because I would say it took us. At least an hour, Jace, uh, by the end of it. Yeah, probably an hour. And I will say, probably the first five miles, I didn't even notice how long the walk was. I was just, you know, ranting and raving about this team like uh, the lunatic fan I am. But yeah, by the, by, you know, mile five, you're like, wow, <laughs> we still aren't that close. It, and, was, uh, uh, it was an interesting walk to hear Jace work out all the Ravens issues while also being surrounded by thousands of Raiders fans. So I, you know, there were slight concerns there, but we got through it in, in more ways than one. As for this game, boy, I mean, hand up, you know, I was on this pod last week, almost guaranteeing a Ravens win and a Ravens cover. There were so many trending lines that pointed to the Ravens dominating a week one game. It looked good to start. The formula seemed right with a 14, nothing lead. And then execution started to fall apart. Penalties started to happen. Big plays on the defensive side, and and, and the game turned into a mess. But without going quarter to quarter, because in a game like this, that seems impossible for us to actually go through touchdowns and scores as so many things happened. So let's start with the Ravens' offensive side of the ball instead. What worked, what didn't work, what's going to change. And I think we have to start with the offensive line. Because that was uh, one of our main storylines coming into this game. How good were they going to be? I said good enough, basically. And at the moment, they are not good enough. They struggled all over the line um, between getting beat and also just not understanding the play calls. There's some highlights trickling on the interwebs of linemen just missing assignments, going the run in the wrong direction. There's a pretty bad one of... I think it's both the left tackle and the left guard running into the right tackle and the right guard because both sides are pulling in opposite directions and they all run into each other. So it wasn't good on the offensive line. I turn to you guys now. A, how bad was it? And B, can this be fixed? Is this a Villanueva's a scrub issue or is this a Ronnie Stanley has got to get his legs under him and the execution is going to get resolved as they have more games and practices? What do we do with this offensive line? Uh, Jace started this by talking about how he might not be as discouraged as you would after just a failure of epic proportions in, in a loss like this. For me, I think this, I, you'll never guess, me a pessimist about these things. I think it's a calamity. I think it's a nightmare. I think that the offensive line is going to derail this season. I think Alejandro Villanueva was supposed to be 
serviceable, and I would cut him today. I just, I think it, I mean, obviously, you know, that's an extremist thing with the cap and everything. You're not going to do that. You need depth on the line. But the fact that that guy is going to be starting for you week in and week out because there's simply nobody else, I think is a disaster for this football team. The Raiders got pressure all night. Yannick Ngakwe looked like a decent football player on Monday. Max Crosby, who is a good player, maybe even great, looked like a Hall of Famer against this offensive line. The Raiders sent pressure three times. Now go back and watch that football game. Watch the extended highlights and the amount of times that the Ravens, whether it's running the football or passing the football, I mean, Antonio, you nailed it, seemed discombobulated, but also just guys around Lamar Jackson over and over and over again. And you would have thought that they were doing the wink defense of just sending the house, sending the house, sending the house. They sent pressure three times in that entire game. This is a disaster of the utmost and epic proportions when it comes to this season. You know, like I said, three times, and Jackson was pressured 18 of 33 dropbacks during this game. It was my sole biggest takeaway, and this is after even a couple days, um, you know, traveling out of Las Vegas and, Really, the only thing I was thinking about is, one, am I going to get my voice back? Looks like no. And two, just traveling and getting home and not worrying about what happened in Vegas. Just get me home. Get me home. I need to be in my bed right now. And I come back and I sit here and I'm looking at this game again. And you can say, well, it was kind of a freak game. And what a great advertisement for running in football. For me, it's the Ravens are a bang average football team because their offensive line is so, so poor. Yeah, I, I guess that's my overriding concern too, Tim. Um, you know, we'll, we could get into Lamar more in a moment, but we know, I don't know that it's a secret that, you know, a, a key to containing, well, not just him, any quarterback, you know, is if you could, the more, the more and more guys you can drop to defend the wide receivers and tight ends that this team has, um, you know, that makes the job harder on a quarterback. And I think that's especially, you know, so for Lamar, he's shifty. He got out of some trouble. Like, it could have been much worse. He, You know, as you said, Tim, he's pressured on 54% of his dropbacks, and he probably turned a few of those into 20-yard rushing uh, gains because that's what Lamar Jackson does. But, yeah, it, it, the greater concern I think you touched on is um, they kind of just have to hope Alejandro Villanueva gets better because there's no solution. You're uh, at this point, you're, you know, uh, we we, we kind of talked all off season about who's the left guard. Well, it ended up being Tyree Phillips uh, out of the gate here, and um, he's going to be out for a while. And he seemed to be uh, he was obviously the Ravens' starting right tackle for a large chunk of last season at times. Um, you know, all are kind of alternating with DJ Fluker a bit. Um, but like, really, he's the was the only obvious uh, kind of swing tackle candidate they have. Um, so if Villanueva can't get the job done, you're kind of looking at Patrick McCarry, who you know we watched in the preseason. Do you want Patrick McCarry to be this team's right tackle? I don't. But um, it's yeah, it was a tough look. It was a tougher game. I'm willing to at least extend a little faith that a little more time and the system can kind of get some of the, you know, some of that stuff ironed out. This team did not get a lot of time together in the preseason. 
Um, and it's a long season. We have 16 more of these games. But as far as first impressions go, that was brutal. And against, especially against, as we kind of talked about, a Raiders defensive line that's good, but not great. Real quickly, I, I don't know, and if you mentioned this, apologies, but not even Phillips being the left guard, Phillips got hurt in the game and has been placed on IR. So he's out. Yeah. So it's Ben Powers, it looked like, going in at left guard. And you said it, Jace. Villanueva is going to be the right tackle, and he has to get better. And I personally just don't have the faith that that's going to happen. By week five, uh, it's potential. There's a lot of Nick Boyle uh, on the right side, just just pass protecting, not, not run blocking, not running out for routes. Just have three guys run routes, keep the back <laughs> to block, and hope that, oh boy, Boyle can play like assistant right tackle. But we'll see how that how that progresses. At least the communication issues should get better as, as the season goes along. Guys, how about Lamar? I mean, we talked about the issues with the line. That impacted a lot of his dropbacks, as Tim pointed out, a, a very large percent of his dropbacks. What did you guys think overall uh, his performance, given what he could do? Obviously an up-and-down night for him in terms of breaking ankles uh, on certain plays, um, making some great throws, some throws maybe that we haven't quite seen from him, or at least not consistently, but then also the turnovers and, and some other miss, some other misplays there. So overall, start off, Jace, if you had to give him a grade and then, uh, and then give an explanation as to what grade, why you would give him that grade. I'd give Lamar, it's a passing grade. He had a good game, but I'd probably give him a C plus because I think he had some spectacular plays. I think that second quarter touchdown to Hollywood Brown is about as good a play as we've almost ever seen from him. The way he he splits, splits the defenders and rolls right, rolls right, but doesn't just tuck it and run. He waits, he finds the open guy and fires it for a strike. That was a fantastic play. You mentioned he hit a nice deep ball. Um, uh, to Sammy Watkins, he had some nice, you know, some crossing stuff. Um, uh, I didn't think there weren't too many balls where I was like, oh god, that could get intercepted. He kind of he kind of kept those to a minimum, but he did miss some guys. Uh, one of the most glaring was he he missed, um, and this could have been you know a miscommunication because, as we mentioned, Gus Edwards goes down in the lead up to this game after J.K. Dobbins goes down, and now we're looking at Tyson Williams, who we were impressed with in the regular season or uh, in the preseason, had never carried the ball in a regular season NFL game. Um, so, you know, maybe that was a miscommunication, but he kind of missed him in a flat, kind of looked like he might have thought Tyson would keep running, and that was a big moment. That was a third down that would have converted um, and could potentially could have turned into a touchdown because they were having a nice drive. It turns into a Justin Tucker field goal that puts him up 17-10. to 10. So he missed some throws. Um, and But the real reason I think it's got to be C-plus, even though – for the most part, I thought he actually had a pretty solid night. Was the turnovers just the timing was so brutal? One, one when they're up seven, up seventeen ten in the fourth quarter. After they make, they actually do make a few nice defensive stops. You know, they stopped the Raiders on fourth and one. They didn't do too much on that drive, but uh, you know, the Raiders had kind of petered out on a few drives there into the third quarter, early fourth, and they had a real chance to put the game away. And he fumbles, and you know, they immediately convert it to tie the game at seventeen. And then the in overtime when they were just gifted a lifeline in one of the most bizarre, you know, end of game sequences I think I've ever seen. They get that just miracle interception from uh, Anthony Averett uh, on the goal line after it looked like the Raiders had walked off the game, which was just a bizarre, that entire sequence was bizarre to witness live. You know, you, you think there's a walk off TD, there's a false start, and then the next thing you know, the Ravens have the ball back. 
and, and like in that scenario, like even though that was third down and he was getting sacked, like if he just holds on to the ball, they're probably punting and who knows, the Raiders could go down. But you seem like at that point in the game with the time left, you're getting close to at least salvaging a tie out of this uh, monstrosity of a football game. Uh, and he didn't hold on to the ball in overtime, and you just can't do that. So, yeah, I can't give him anything more than a C+. Plus, and it uh, seems, for those turnovers. It seems, I mean, just odd to say we might have salvaged a tie, but in a division where three teams may end up at 12-5, and five, for example, what if we had the tie there? You know, that, that could end up making a difference in a tie-break situation. But I'm sorry, Tim... What grade? Uh, what grade would you give to uh, to Lamar? I don't know. I don't want to come off as like we're just Homer Lamar stands because you know most Ravens fans are. You watch him and be entertained by him and not try and just defend him at every possible angle. But uh, nothing more than a C minus for me. Um, I think the turnovers and guys they lost this football game. I'm sorry. You know, I, quarterback wins are not a stat. I know, but. Th- they lost a football game, so I can't give him anything that's, you know, more than that C-. minus. Um, I think he did some really good things. I mean, I'm not, I don't need to retread over everything that Jay said because he's right. I mean, the, the, that Hollywood Brown play was absolutely outstanding. Um, but, yeah, C- minus for me. And, and the thing that I worry about, too, is and something that we saw in his, what, his second year, his full, first full year as a starter – was Lamar trying to do too much? And now I feel like he might think that he has to do too much, especially if he's running for his life week in and week out. And it's going to give us some great plays. I mean, the, some of the running plays were, were fantastic. But at the same time, I've never seen Lamar take shots like he did on Monday. Uh, he, took some, he took some pretty brutal hits because he had to scramble out and do everything himself. And that worries me. Um, you know, it would help if, the tight end that they just paid a bunch of money to uh, could make any clutch catch ever in his life. Um, we don't we don't have to go in on it. Uh, my friends and I, I know, were mainly pissed at Mark Andrews immediately post game. No, that was the main no, guy. We do, we, you can and Jay. We do have to go, go in just before you go. <laughs> I'll let you go because frankly, your voice is sounding better than mine right now. But simply for me, I'm out on Mark Andrews. I'm out. I think I think you paid him at the wrong time. He has proven consistently over and over again that he likes tearing up the Bengals and hates playing against the Steelers in prime time. He doesn't make any big catches. He drops every important catch. Um, and, of course, there's a little bit of hyperbole in here. I, I understand that. But for me, I'm out. I'm just out. And we have Sammy Watkins now. Who Sammy Watkins played that rely. I'm serious. Antonio's kind of laughing at me here. But he was – the clutch guy making the big catches and and moving the chains in the big moments and it was and I remember thinking mid, midway through the fourth quarter of oh Watkins has already become the go-to guy like the get out of get out of jail free car guy who used to be Mark Andrews and I'm frankly I'm happier about it because at least I know Watkins is going to bring down the football. Yeah, I mean, I, I, not not to. I don't want to go so far as to say I'm out on Mark Andrews entirely because I think, you know, I was impressed and we'll get more into them. Uh, but the one thing I was surprised, I guess, was how not that involved Mark Andrews actually was in this game plan. Um, Lamar did not look to him a lot, which was kind of surprising. But to, to I just wanted to say, though, Tim, I'm completely the more the more you see that play. 
the the more inexcusable it is. And you know, there were a lot of different reasons why the Ravens should have already won this game by the point that this play uh, occurred. But ultimately, you know, they get the miracle lifeline. Lamar makes a great throw. That was a good throw up the middle in between the defenders um, to like what's supposed to be your reliable tight end. And he just didn't make the play. And it, you know, that's uh, the next play. The ball's on the ground because Carl Nassib just, you know, comes unchecked off the left side or uh, off the right side. And Tyson Williams was not able to do too much to uh, knock the big defensive lineman off course and the ball's on the ground and the Ravens lose the football game. So, you know, I think that's ultimately the deciding play of the game as far as the offense is concerned. Now, um, you know, I think there's, as we mentioned, there's some plays they left on the table and Antonio, I do wanted to hear what you think about Lamar's game too, but I, the more the more I see it, the more I agree that that Andrews drop was just inexcusable. You can't trust and, him. You can't trust him, and that's the worst part. Yeah, he's it's the worst I, part of a receiver is not being able to trust him. He, he and he's getting that reputation, it, it, I, and I still think they should have paid him because they don't have. You know, you look at the box score; like they have two guys who catch more than three passes, um, so they still don't have a ton of weapons. And Mark Andrews is one of them. But you're right, Tim. Yeah, I know. In the big moments, he's come up small, and that's been the kind of story of his young career so far. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I was laughing before because I thought Tim was making a joke that we have Sammy Watkins, but actually pleasantly surprised by Sammy Watkins. He was reliable. I think somebody in the stands, Jace, when we were watching this game, made the joke like he's like Willie Sneed on steroids. Like he's like the better <laughs> this Willie Sneed that actually makes plays kind of thing. And he was good, and he was there. I did not have him pegged in the uh, in the off season as guy who's going to have an over the shoulder. 40-yard catch in, in uh, one of the at the moment one of the biggest moments biggest spots of the game. Um, the Andrew stuff is bad. I think that over the long haul he's still going to make some plays. He's still going to have stats and games where even if it's a mediocre team, like if the guy's not there, you're going to lose to more mediocre teams. But I certainly agree. He has not yet sort of made that unbelievable catch or that tough clutch spot in and those high pressure moments and having it in week one after signing the big deal is going to look even worse uh given given the money that he just got paid outside of Watkins in terms of the playmakers Hollywood Brown with a nice game as well there's a pipe dream here that when Bateman is healthy Watkins Hollywood and a talented rookie receiver may actually be able to put something together offensively. We'll see if that happens, and we'll see if Bateman can actually get healthy and get on the field. The last skill position guy I want to talk to you guys about, Tyson Williams. Played very well in the first half. Barely saw him in the second half. I don't. I haven't seen an explanation for that. Have we proved? Has it been said that it was not an injury situation, or what happened to Tyson in the second half? I mean, for me, I have not. Sorry, for me, ahead, it just seemed like they wanted to bring in a Latavius Murray and have him as a more of a reliable guy that they could that they knew would hold on to the football. Which, yeah, I don't know. It seems strange to me as well. Of a guy who seemed to do okay had a nice, really nice touchdown run. Obviously, lit it up in preseason, but I haven't seen anything about injury. So you wonder if it was just a lack of trust for a guy making his first NFL start. But it, it seemed odd and it seemed off. And they and when Murray was in, 
fourth quarter, I think after every huddle break, Lamar was pointing at Murray where he had to line up because the guy signed three days ago. He had no idea where to line up multiple plays, and Lamar would have to keep pointing like left side, right side, or where to split out. Very puzzling. Jace, uh, anything else on uh, on Williams? Well, so I just wanted to pull this up because uh, the Ravens had their first um, media availability since the game this afternoon, uh, right before we jumped on here. But uh, per Dre- uh, Jeff Zarebeck of The Athletic, Harbaugh didn't get into Tyson Williams' usage in the second half, said he really likes all his RBs, and Ravens lucky to have the ones that they have. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no real explanation. If I had to guess, it's probably, you know... Knowing John Harbaugh, it's almost certainly related to pass protection reasons, I would think. Which, you know, I understand in part because, uh, yeah, the offensive line stunk. So they probably had to make sure they had a running back who could at least try to, you know, throw a chip on someone. And if they feel Murray, you know, as a a pretty established, experienced veteran is better at doing that, that might have just been all the calculus. But... I was a little disappointed because I, I did think Williams was great. He had that great fourth down, you know, busted it and took it to the house uh, early in the game. And had a few other strong runs. And I, I thought, you know, he should he should have got the ball more. I thought he if they were going, uh, you know, I think a real turning point of this game, they go for it on fourth and one um, right before halftime. And uh, they're leading 14-10 at the time. And the offense was moving pretty good kind of the whole first half and especially to that point. And... You know, they run it with Murray, and they run it, you know, they try to go left. Uh, this was apparently, uh, I was reading uh, Jeff Zarebeck's story on The Athletic, like right after Tyree Phillips goes down, so you just have thrown Ben Powers in. It was like his first play, and you're going for it on fourth down. And I don't know, I I just, Tyson had been so good to that point, and, you know, you already watched him take a fourth and one to the house for like 40 yards, so... I just didn't love getting the ball to Latavius Murray in that situation, and it was blown up, and I think it changed the game because the Raiders went down, got a field goal, and, and instead of going into halftime up, you know, 17, I think I misstated the score earlier, but uh, instead of going into halftime up 17-7 to or even 24-7, to the Ravens go up in the halftime only up 14-10, to and I think that just, you know, the Raiders didn't do too hot. They didn't score until the fourth quarter, but I, I just think that, you know, kind of sap some momentum where you when you really could have kind of put the game away at the end of the first half there. Defensively, guys, we were coming into this game, <laughs> maybe all three of us, more excited about the defense than the offense for the first time in a long time. And they looked pretty strong early. And then just, boy, as it got late, it got uglier and uglier and uglier. Um, I got a couple of points, but just Justin Houston looked okay. Uh, he had some nice pressure. Uh, Owe showed some flashes out of your first-round pick. That's nice to see. But, uh, boy, and the secondary, especially late in this game, I think I just started screaming the number 83 out loud, hoping that they could hear me, that that was a guy that maybe they should try to cover better or double-team. Then they even tried to double-team, and they couldn't tackle uh, Darren Waller after the catch. But just that's sort of a couple of things. What did you guys see uh, defensively from this game, maybe first half for second half or just players that you liked or had had big issues with? <laughs> well, it, to your point on, I think you, we have to just turn to the, the Darren Waller conversation. I think that's where you start. And, you know, for me, <laughs> I, I just look, 
And, and he, you know, you look at the box score, and he had a decent game, right? He ends up leading the team in tackles. He had a sack. But for me, I, I've i been disappointed with Patrick Queen. I'm just going to, you know, I want him to succeed. The Ravens' first-round pick last year. But, you know, you look at a guy like Waller, and you look at the Ravens' defensive backs, and, you know, like, Patrick Queen, like, should be the guy who, who like, should be able to, like, help on Darren Waller. That's, like, what separates the great middle linebackers these guys. These guys like Fred Warner. They can cover tight ends. And for me, like, when it comes to Patrick Queen, it's like he he certainly has the speed to cover a guy like Waller, but I think he just gets lost too often. And I don't know if that's a processing thing. You know, he, he was fairly inexperienced at LSU. He kind of came on late and then had a, a good final season there. Um, but didn't wasn't, like, a huge part of their defense the first, like, year or two he was there. And so I don't know if it's just like a football experience thing because he certainly has the speed too. And then the other part that frustrates me with him is the size. The size isn't there for Patrick Queen. And we saw Josh Jacobs run over him on a key third and one when he had the stop in the backfield. He's just not big enough. And, you know, that just concerns me going forward. You really hope this guy could take a leap. And I thought it was a tough first game. You know, maybe the safeties, but part of you know the impact of a, the injury of a Marcus Peters is the Ravens just have less playmakers and they need guys to step up and when you're facing a team that has a star tight end you you need your linebackers to step up and uh and your safeties too frankly you know I didn't think I thought for a guy I think we had high expectations for too I thought Deshaun Elliott had a pretty quiet game I didn't remember seeing him much Chuck was a little more involved but it was just what looking up his stats after the game was stunning. Cause it felt like Waller had like 17 catches for 200 yards in the stadium. It was the only guy Carr was looking to and just the failure. I don't want to put it obviously all on Patrick queen. Cause they have different players covering him every time, but if he could cover him every time, that would really help a lot of things. But, uh, you know, just at a certain point, the concern I have that extends to the Waller thing is they don't have, I feel like without Marcus Peters, they don't have playmakers on the back end. And I really think like just Waller getting catch after catch the two just middle of the field, easy completions um, to Brian Edwards, I believe that set up the Raiders tying field goal, just 37 seconds to march right down the field on two completions with no timeouts. The Raiders, you know, they they had no problem. They It was like the most casual uh, last-second scoring drive to force overtime I've ever seen. It's just a, it's a dearth of playmakers on the back end without Marcus Peters. And that's another thing. I, I don't know how they fix, and that concerns me. And just watching Waller run wild and watching that those, those fourth-quarter drives, frankly, where they gave up at the touchdown after the Ravens take the lead again. Uh, and then the field goal. It was just, it was brutal. It was a brutal night, I thought, for the back end in terms of, you know, we're so used to the Ravens defense having guys who make plays, and I just don't think they're there on the back end of this team. I'm going to spin positive in a weird way here. Um, I don't I don't disagree with anything Jay said. Um, I think the lack of just any sort of resistance in the second half especially was incredibly concerning. But for me... Yeah, let's start up front. Let's do it anyway. Adafi Owe got his sack, so let's just shut up about the whole no sacks in college <laughs> thing. 
He looked good. He looks like a guy who can turn into a playmaker for this team, at least up front, in my opinion. You're talking about a team that kind of lacks that. On the back end, I thought a lot of the young guys played well. You know, it, this is one of those things, Jace, I, I agree with you. This year, it's going to be tough to find those guys because you lose a Marcus Peters. You know, Jimmy Smith can't stay on the field. And, and Marcus Peters is probably the, one of the, if not, or I wouldn't say the, but one of the best playmakers in the defensive backfield in the league right now. And so it's really tough to replace that guy. Um, Darren Waller has cemented himself as... Tier 1A, it is no longer Kelsey Kittle and everybody else. It's Kelsey, Kitter, Kelsey Kittle, Waller, and everybody else. Now, we have to play one of those other guys this week, and we'll talk about that a bit later in the show. But I think he is that good where it's tough to pin that so much of it on the team. That being said, he was wide open a couple times, and it's like it's either this guy or the fullback that Derek Carr's going to, and he's only going to the fullback when he's not going to Darren Waller. So – Put six guys on him. Who cares? It's, he's not going to find anybody else. Um, so that was a bit concerning. But for me, a couple of guys that I thought stepped up, you know, Anthony Avret, I thought thought was very good. He played all but one defensive snap. Uh, Chris Westry, I thought was great uh, too. Just again for the expectations we have for these guys and Westry too. I had I had multiple friends while we were watching the game who maybe didn't weren't as sucked into the preseason as I was go the hell is that guy just how big he is as a corner and, and, a, and a freak athlete type dude so there might be more depth there than we think but i do agree you know overall jace we've got a lot of solid but not enough difference maker and that could be a concern and i guess just to before kicking over to you antonio i guess i should say too i think the problems on the back end especially in this game but i think probably Going forward all season is going to be, you know, you can because you, you can do one without the other, right? It's okay, it's okay if you don't have a ton of playmakers on the back end, if you can get to the quarterback, and that's something. Though Oway had a sack and had a few, he had four. It was credited with four pressures, which was nice. They just didn't get to Derek Carr enough, and I thought, you know, that was ultimately the difference in this game. He 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 drops back fifty six times, and they get pressure on 20 percent uh of of his dropbacks and that's just not good enough you know Derek Carr he's not the greatest QB but if you if if one in five if he's only getting guys in his face one in five times he drops back he's gonna find the open guy and there's gonna be open guys because if you can't get to Derek Carr the other guys have longer to run and I feel like that's what was happening with Waller a lot and so that was just another disappointing thing but I think that is you know, potentially something that could improve, I think, with the development of a guy like Owe. But I think in this game, that was a huge problem. I think in the, we saw in the fourth quarter, those issues just compounded on themselves. And that's why I think it all fell apart. It, I, in game at the stadium, I thought it was odd that it seemed like the Ravens were not blitzing as often as they normally would. And then in very big situations, they blitzed a lot of guys. And that's when they got burned just to a crisp more than on other plays and i i mean i Derek carr for you know for when you listen to pod like a raven i gotta give him a a a tiny bit of credit the one thing he did well in this game when the ravens did bring the house he and i think he's like when he's on this is his thing he does the like backpedal and he's still able to throw like a touch pass even to the opposite side 
well all the way downfield. And he did that for these two big plays that were made uh, when the Ravens tried to send the house, and because the house didn't get there, and he had time to take a few you know back pedals and then find guys for 40 yards, one that was almost a touchdown, that certainly looked like a touchdown at the end of regulation, and then uh, or in overtime, I should say, and then the second one that was completed for a full touchdown to end the game. <laughs> and I, I wonder, I mean, I guess the reason they didn't blitz as often as they did was because they were afraid of the one-on-one situations that the Raiders were able to get, specifically with Darren Waller and then some other guys, even Hunter Renfro, catching more passes than I thought he would catch in an NFL game. But, yeah, we will see in week two, specifically, as we get to another offensive problem, what the blitz numbers look like if they're going to try to protect the back end a little bit more or if they're going to realize that, hey, rushing three, four guys is not working for us yet, not until Oway becomes a, you know, a major disruptor and, and see if they adjust things in that second game. Uh, guys, anything else from uh, from this Raiders game? Any like drinks we want to pour out? <laughs> Mainly, t- Tim and I both have hot teas, so we're not going to pour those out because we desperately need them. But yeah. any final words before we uh, sort of bury this this Las Vegas game? I have a bad feeling that we're on here. Uh, and apologies again. We should have mentioned. Obviously, the recording time is a little different because your boys were in Vegas, and you think we're in bad shape now. We are not in any shape to be talking about the game post-match, even though I know some people definitely wanted that. I think for this team, it gets worse before it gets better. I really do. And that's that's tough for a schedule that gets way tougher on the back end. Glass half full. Maybe you think it has gives them time to work some, some stuff out before the really bad stretch run. Me being glass half empty, I think this is going to be another average and well, I shouldn't say another, probably the first average Raven season of Lamar, the Lamar Jackson era and I don't think people are ready to hear that. And I just, I'm so, it's the way they lost, obviously. And I know it's it wasn't a blowout or anything. But I think we get to week two, and spoiler alert, I think it's not going to be close. And then we get to week three, and it's a decent win against the Lions team. And then we're kind of rebalanced a little bit. And we're a little more positive. But for me, the way this team performed and just the fundamental problems they have, Offensive line, pass rush, playmakers, like those big three things that we just spent the time talking about. I don't care how good he is. I love him. We all do. I don't care how good eight is. Those are the three of the most important things in football. And I think it is going to hamper this team all season long. I think that's a, a solid point, Tim. I, I think I'm still generally a little higher <laughs> on the overall aspect. Uh, if I had my season, voice but... back, I'd probably be a little more positive. But I'm like, I'm, the <laughs> dread of maybe not ever getting my voice back too is, is probably bringing me down just a little bit. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, this was true in the wake of Gus Edwards' injury, and I think even more true now after we've seen one game. It's all going to be on Lamar this season. This is kind of guy in a. You don't you don't want to call it a make or break year. I think he's too good, obviously, for that. Uh, what he's already accomplished, certainly. But um, you know, it, as you kind of said, I think if the Ravens make the playoffs, it's going to be based on um, how good can Lamar be. And I I wouldn't be stunned. Um, you know, if they still make the playoffs, I think Lamar can be great. I think he, if he cleans up, you know, if he does have those two turnovers. I think we could we're very well talking about a win, certainly. Um, could be, but 
Uh, it's a huge year for him. Uh, I think even more so than we thought uh, this time last week, certainly. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a fascinating year. I hope I, I, I still maintain some hope some of these issues can be cleaned up as we go along and maybe guys emerge with more playing time. Uh, but it was certainly kind of a, a disheartening uh, first game because they're certainly they're starting this year in a hole. Uh, and they, you know, they haven't lost week one since 2015. And it's, it's, it's not fun. It's not fun to start your year with a loss. Yeah, Tim, I do agree. I think it is going to get worse before it gets better. But outside of this Chiefs game, I just that stretch is too perfect for a team that needs to get worse before it gets better. Uh, just to recap this first half of the schedule for the listener, after this Chiefs game, which, oh boy, uh, it's Lions, Broncos, Colts, Chargers, Bengals, Vikings, Dolphins. It just, I think, it, I think they're going to hopefully weather that well enough and then try to get healthy try to figure some things out but certainly we will see it's one week at a time in the in this new 17 game nfl schedule we're going to go around the nfl now starting with the ravens three rivals in the afc north browns losing to chiefs in a close game where the browns were up by double digits uh for uh, large chunks of that game steelers beating the bills in buffalo uh, in one of the steeleriest wins ever. See, ever. They happen all the time, and yet this was even worse than other ones. And then the Bengals beating the Vikings in overtime uh, in a game where for a while it seemed like Cincinnati was in control and then almost ended in a tie. But the, the Bengals did pull that out 27-24. Favorite, I don't know how much of this uh, you guys watched, but which game maybe gave you... Uh, intrigued you the most or, or gave you the most concern uh, as we look at the AFC North? See, I'll go concern here. I'll go Pittsburgh. I don't think – I don't categorize this as one of the most Pittsburgh wins ever because I know – and every Ravens fan – we don't even have to explain that. Every Ravens fan knows what Antonio means when he said that. I just thought this was a – from a Ravens perspective, oh bleep, that defense is still incredible and we might have been sleeping on Pittsburgh a little bit. Um, you know, I, it was – very much their early season last year. We're sitting here screaming about how they're the worst 11-0 team of all time. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> they clearly flame out and what have you. And I think a lot of that is true. I still think they were not very good running the football. Uh, Roethlisberger looked okay at best. But that's a defense that's going to carry them. And, you know, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. T.J. Watt got paid. Deservedly so. And you get all the stupid puff pieces, you know, that when T.J. Watt took Adam Schefter's Twitter account and, and tweeted out the story about him, which is great. Thanks, Adam. Um, but for me, I think, I think that defense is that good where they are going to be, cause a massive problem for everybody. The Cleveland one, I mean, let me set the scene. This is, and I've, I've made no bones about it or made no secret about it, it was my first time actually gambling on football games. We had a nice private table at this uh, book, basically, where we're watching all the games all around us. I was in heaven. I want to go back, even though it might mean I you know, become a mute. And watching that game, we're surrounded by, I was surrounded by Pittsburgh and Browns fans, among others, obviously. And just watching Cleveland melt down again was just fantastic i thought even though i had lost the bet because i had chiefs minus i think it was six and a half and they only won by four i was still so happy 
to see that Cleveland has hasn't changed. So in terms of the thing that intrigued me most, it's the Steelers and that they're actually, I think, very good in a division where we need to be very good to keep pace. I think the Browns are good too, but it was just hilarious to watch them just melt down <laughs> once again and have the Chiefs storm all the way back. And every, every reporter that had their piece going about how great this Browns team is and Super Bowl or bust from Cleveland this year, yada, yada, yada. Nope, nope, nope. Let's, let's everybody calm down because you're still Cleveland. Thank God the Browns lost because this would have been a, just an absolutely miserable week if uh, if every other AFC North team was one and zero and the Ravens were zero and one. I agree more with Antonio. Well, but I think you said it, Tim. I think this is the exact same Steelers team as last year, and whether that's good or bad, it's going to be annoying. That's for sure. That defense is awesome. But I think their offense is still bad. Like uh, they they had 252 total yards in this game and won handily, thanks to a series of weird, bizarre choices by the Bills. A blocked punt. Uh, the Bills when they threw the ball backwards on fourth and one at midfield, that was a choice that didn't work out for them. It was just very annoying to watch that game and just be like, you know, they're not the like. You watch the game and you're like, the Buffalo Bills are the better football team. They led ten to nothing before allowing twenty three straight points. Uh, to the Steelers before they uh, tacked on a, a late touchdown uh, in garbage time. The Bills did. but So I was annoyed by that game. And I should, to be clear to your point, Tim, I think, uh, yeah, the Steelers will absolutely hang around the division race uh, all year. So I am concerned about that. But I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl good. Um, and I don't know that I think the Browns are either. But um, they certainly, they looked impressive in that first half. But, you know, Baker did Baker things. Appeared to try to throw the ball out of bounds, did not, and thus ended the game uh, on a uh, on a I believe Mike Rhodes, it was former Vikings uh, defensive back they have uh, there, but picked him off. But um, yeah, um, you know I think we've said it on this program a lot. Nick Chubb's really good. The more the Browns rely on him, the better. But yeah, it was a classic Cleveland meltdown. Just uh, 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 the what their one punt of the day, the ball did not get punted. That did not help them win the football game. Um, Patrick Mahomes uh, had his classic roll right and drop back 10 yards and then throw 70 yards down the field uh, to Tyreek Hill, uh, which I'm sure we'll see in the coming week. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, – I'm just so glad the Browns lost because I could not handle this week if all three of those, those teams were 1-0 and the Ravens were 0-1. Um and then, yeah, for Cincinnati, you know, I don't, I still don't think there'll be a great team this year, but, you know, Burrow looks solid, and they, they took a nice gamble, you know, it's rare to, I was certain we were going to see the, what would have been the fifth Bengals tie since 2008, which seems like a very uh, Bengals stat, um, but they went for the win in overtime, and uh, they got it on the final play. Um, oh, one final thing we should mention on the Browns, just because I think it's uh, very funny, Um the Browns, since they've been, uh, you know, jump-started uh, in 1999, um, are 1-21-1 in Week 1 uh, since 1999, which seems impossible. Also, my friend Wag pointed this out to me, so shout-out to him. But uh, for you Pod Like a Ravens listeners out there, don't look up who the one was against. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> Uh, Tim, I, I have a question for you. Uh, did you punch a Browns fan for every time they showed Odell Beckham Jr. on the sideline? Because if so, 
there probably were no more Browns fans at the book by the end of that game. No, because that was the thing that made me smile. Why would I? Why would I have an angry reaction to that? They showed OBJ again. We did it. We did this last week. Sitting on the sidelines, not playing. It's been announced he's not playing week two either. He has made his entire career off of one catch, and it was a great catch. Don't get me wrong, but that was. I mean, I feel bad. There were two. There were, from what I remember, two to three Browns fans in there who. I never mind. I, I don't feel bad. That's definitely not what I felt. It was more pure joy and enlightenment while I'm watching that game happen. But yeah, that's just, they're talented enough where they can deal with having a quote unquote superstar, not live up to his potential. But it, that whole situation there is a mess for me. Uh, my last note on the AFC North. I'm, I'll, I'll say it one time. I'll, I'll make it a compliment once and then that'll be it. Uh, happy for Jamar Chase. Uh, as this in his rookie debut for the Bengals, five catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. After a lot of chat about him having, a, you know, the dropsies, the like reports that he was freaking out that the NFL ball was different than the college ball, and it was just sort of setting up for, oh no, is he going to be like a disaster for them? Had a really good game, and now I will never compliment it again because he will probably torch <laughs> the Ravens for the next ten years. Around the NFL, guys, around the rest of the league, I'm going to turn to you guys and get maybe what your, your favorite game was or your favorite talking point, but the one of the biggest uh, notes where some people in Vegas lost money on this team, the Green Bay Packers uh, absolutely smoked like JV versus Varsity to Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints, and now they're a team that everybody's going to be following to see if Winston... If Winston can play well all of a sudden they're going to be a, an nfc contender that's the sean payton effect uh i learned something today because jason informed me i was gonna say the nfc west may send four playoff teams four teams to the playoffs this year can't happen jace uh, they're not allowed to send four teams from one division <laughs> i did not know that so that won't be happening but three of them will probably go they all four of those teams looked very very strong and then I turn to you guys. Which games maybe were you watching on? Which games were you betting on, uh, mayhaps, and, and, and either helped you out or let you down? Or uh, what else? What did you follow this week in the NFL? Yeah, Antonio, I'll say I get it. Because Sunday I went 8-6, and six, and I was like, I feel pretty good about this. For week one of the NFL football season, not great, but over 500, I'll take it. Uh, a bit more on the NFC West. Um, I didn't have the Cardinals, unfortunately. Uh, the 49ers was the all-time bad beat of the week. It was an eight and a half. They ended up winning by eight. Um, another friend of mine who I'm not sure I'll mention just in case he doesn't want this known, he was not having as good of a day, and we kept telling each other, don't worry, at least the Niners are a lock. And that's what happens when you mention that over and over again. But on the Rams, specifically for me, that Rams team is so good, and you kind of mentioned it there. I think Matt Stafford as advertised in this McVay offense and what they're going to do. But I could not imagine being a Chicago Bears fan and specifically hearing <laughs> my coach over and over again talk about, well, we just drafted this quarterback. We're, we're one of the elder statesmen in NFL history, yet probably don't have one superstar quarterback in our history. A few flashes here and there, but like, Rex Grossman is on the Mount Rushmore of Chicago Bears quarterbacks. And 
to have Justin Fields and to say, because I promised Andy Dalton he'd be QB1, he's going to stay as QB1, and you're not going to give Fields this chance. And then to not only not start him, but then just tease Bears fans over and over again by bringing him in in multiple spots and bringing him in to <laughs> do little run plays and then immediately taking him out, having him actually like throw the ball in passing sets and then just like take him out after a play. I would be throwing my TV out of the hotel window watching that as a Bears fan because it was just infuriating to see. You know this guy is better, yet just because you're so stubborn and set in your own ways, you're not gonna you're not just gonna play the most talented guy on the field. So that I thought was interesting. Um, and then a couple more. The Eagles, man. I thought the Eagles were impressive. They kicked the crap out of a Falcons team who I think we talked about it on this podcast when we did our over unders. I have no idea why people thought that Atlanta was going to be a good, sneaky, possible playoff team. That team is bad. And, you know, if you got the under there, as some of us may or may not have, good on you for getting the under there on the Atlanta Falcons. Um, And then the Broncos, a team that I've talked over and over about here. I think Teddy Two Gloves is good enough to be a serviceable quarterback. Obviously, they lost Jerry Judy, which is unfortunate. And I know it's just the Giants. I understand that. But I thought the Broncos were very impressive. I watched a lot of that game because, again, uh, we only get three games in that afternoon slot rather than, you know, just put nine on at the 1 o'clock slot, three on at the 415 slot, which makes absolutely no sense. We don't have to do that debate here. But because of that, watched a lot of the Broncos and was thoroughly impressed with them. Um, And I think that they can be – I think they're a sneaky playoff team this year. I really do. I uh, I think you somehow undersold that – uh, 49ers uh, not cover. They were up 41-17 with, at the two-minute warning. <laughs> and did not cover their their spread, uh, depending on where certain folks got the number on. They ended up winning by eight um, after a truly bizarre series of events. Um, but for me, the game I have to highlight, uh, I think, that we just haven't talked about, is the New Orleans Saints 38, the Green Bay Packers 3, in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, with you know, due to uh, the impact of Hurricane Ida, this game was moved. We talked last week about how uh, the, the the Saints picked uh, a location that was allegedly hard for Packers fans to get to, um, and it turns out maybe the Packers didn't get to it because that team completely no showed <laughs> that game. <laughs> One of the just most inexplicable, I believe, literally the worst loss by point differential, or at least tied with it. Um, in Aaron Rodgers' career, uh, A-Rod, 15 for 28 for 133 yards and two interceptions. This man's the reigning NFL MVP. He spent all offseason, uh, you know, complaining about the team. And then he shows up uh, and submits one of the greatest stinkers in the history of his future Hall of Fame career. Like that. And we talked about this when we, we saw each other in person. Like the, the, his second interception was about as, like, nonchalant and lazy a pick as you'll see he basically just kind of threw a ball up for grabs and was like maybe he'll run under it and the over the top safety easily made the play on the ball and was most significantly closer to it than the Packers closest receiver was it was just a very bizarre game and we have to say on the other side uh Jameis Winston five touchdown passes 14 for 20 148 yards and five TDs, a very strange stat line in its own right um, to have that many touchdowns with 
you know, sub 150 yards. I believe that I'd heard that had never been done before in the NFL, <laughs> that many TDs on that few yards. Um, he should have had one interception. It was wiped out by a very dubious, uh, roughing the passer call, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, officially no interceptions. And I don't know. Do we have to reevaluate what we think of the saints this year? I can't imagine Jameis, uh, isn't going to start throwing picks at some point, but maybe the LASIK really helped. So this game just had a number of storylines. It was certainly, you know, the most kind of eye-opening and bizarre score of the day. Like you just kept watching it, uh, you know, as it flashed on your red zone and you were like, what's happening? How is this score? You know, how's it 24 to three, 20, 31 to three, 38 to three. It, It was very confusing. And, uh, yeah, I, that's pretty much all I have to say on it. Uh, but it was definitely the strangest, probably result of the weekend, I would say, um, and certainly did not go the way I saw it happening. It looked like the Packers game against the Bucks the year before, and it's a game now that Rodgers has every so often it, in his mid thirties, where once they're down seventeen, he just kind of like gives up the game, and his he sort of looks Jace as you said nonchalant and sort of packs it in and says, well. We'll be back next week. And then in the past, they have been back the following week. So he's come out and said it's just one game. Obviously, everybody's going to say that. Uh, I think they heard me come in this pod and say over 10 wins for uh, the Green Bay Packers and then immediately had to have one of the worst games (laughs) in Rodgers' career. We will see uh, over the long haul because this was certainly one that they would like to have. And then I think they have a couple of tough games early on. They're at 49ers uh, and home against the Steelers. Uh, not next week, but in the two weeks after that. So it's not an easy start for, for Green Bay if they want to get into playoff position and take control of the NFC North. Just one more before we move on, because I know we got to move on. we got Random Raven. we got everything. Because Jace put it in here. We didn't get to it, so I do need to say it. Shout out former Ravens coach David Cauley getting a victory for the Houston Texans, who, guess what, are not the worst team in the league at this very moment. Looked like they had some fight. And more importantly, on the other side, this Jacksonville Jaguars team is going to be a dumpster fire. And I said it once, and I'll say it again. Urban Meyer might be the guy to ruin Trevor Lawrence or get close to it. Until Trevor gets out, maybe that's when we see the full potential because they're just completely mismanaged. It's a bad run football team. And as Jace, our college football correspondent, puts in here, Clay Helton was obviously fired at USC. Urban is already being asked about the job. So is he going to Bobby Petrino this? Is he going to Bobby Petrino it where he leaves the Falcons to take the Arkansas job? I could totally see Urban doing that if this team is like 0-6 or 2-7 or, you know, whatever it, whatever it is. <laughs> them, them leaving or him just saying, you know what, I'm out. And then all of a sudden next offseason you see him in Southern California. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's always good when you're one game in and already denying other coaching rumors. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he's not going to escape it because it's passing. I was going to joke, Tim, uh, I, the reason I think they won't ruin Trevor Lawrence is, yeah, I think we're getting uh, one and done with Urban Meyer, probably. They looked horrible, and the Texans put it to him. And, yeah, credit to David Culley, man. I, You know, maybe they won't be as bad. I do think people, you know just because they added Trevor Lawrence, forgot that the Jags went 1-15 last year, which only a select few teams in NFL history have, you know, been that bad. So, um, 
Yeah, that was really the final highlight for me, too. Uh, it's going to be a thing that lingers over this Jaguar season all year until USC hires a coach, which they're not going to do until December <laughs> at, at the earliest. So, uh, yeah. And uh, just uh, for those of who follow both sports, if USC hasn't hired a coach by January, it's probably because it's going to be Urban Meyer if he makes it the full year. <laughs> We love it. We love week one. The week one coaching carousel to go to back to college. All right, that's it for the NFL for this week. Jace is up this week with the random Raven, uh, and then we're going to do a little quick preview of Ravens Chiefs. We're going to try to make it maybe as quick as possible. Life short, just like the just rip the bandaid off and then get on out of here. But before that, Jace, who do you have for us with the random Raven? Yeah, so I think this one's kind of, uh, you'll know it or you don't, but perhaps some of the other clues will uh, key you in. But clue number one, uh, and I I landed on this guy based on recent happenings in the Ravens running back room. Uh, So clue number one, this running back was brought in by the Ravens during training camp in 2001 following the season-ending knee injury to second-year star Jamal Lewis. He rushed for 658 yards on 168 attempts for the 2001 Ravens, totals that led the team and had three rushing touchdowns. Uh, And we should also say um, this guy also brought in because Priest Holmes departed that offseason as well, so they did not have Priest to lean on. Um, So they they went to the veterans, and so... But this veteran, that 2001 campaign with the Ravens, proved to be the final season of a productive career for the then 33-year-old. He was drafted by Minnesota in the ninth round of the 1990 NFL Draft, a round that no longer exists, um, and he compiled 8,614 yards and 73 touchdowns on the ground in his career uh, from 1990 to 2001. Uh, And the high point of that career was his Pro Bowl 1996 season with Washington that saw him rush for a league-high 21 touchdowns. And clue number five, this player's number 29 was immediately handed to six-round pick and former random Raven Chester Taylor the following season. Oh, I'm so angry. I know who this is, Jace, because I maybe YouTube at various moments the uh, Ravens hard knocks in the year 2001, and he was prominently involved. Oh my gosh, but I cannot remember, and it, it's Vegas Brain. We're going to call it Vegas Brain, and we'll see if I can... Uh, remember here in the next 15 minutes yeah i can barely Tim, any thoughts I, I can barely remember what happened yesterday at this point so I, I this is probably all going to be on going to be all on you antonio unless you know the next time we do the clues it pops back into my head all right but a fantastic choice chase nonetheless and you caught us on the right week for for a guy from 20 years ago all right uh <laughs> ravens chiefs chiefs oh. are three and a half point favorites <laughs> At the bank, uh, I'm trying to recall a stat on this. Basically, Lamar isn't an underdog very often, and when he is, it's not by more than three points. And so at home, more than three-point underdogs is a rarity. It may not have happened since he's become the starter, I and mean, maybe his rookie year, I'm not sure. But uh, the line isn't that big compared to like other NFL games that the Chiefs are playing, but I think it's certainly in that zone that all three of us are afraid of it. Let's start with the Ravens offensively. From one week to the next, can the Ravens 
make – I mean, they're not going to all of a sudden have five all pros on the offensive line. But can they fix the miscommunication in a short week, in uh, in six days? Can they figure out where and when to help Villanueva in the right situations? Are they going to figure out who exactly should be playing in spot of Tyree Phillips? Does Ben uh, Ben Baltimore uh, make an appearance in this game for, for one reason or another? Can they do things to sort this line out a little bit uh, in the general sense and, and make this a competitive game? I am optimistic to your point, Antonio, that the like some of like the the communication issues, some of the offensive line things can be improved and that that can help the running game. I will not be stunned if we see a lot more Lamar with the ball in this game. Not a, I don't know. We didn't touch on it too much, but not a lot of designed runs in the game against the Raiders for Lamar. Um, I don't know if that was a choice to try to keep him fresh, knowing it's a 17 game season now, or just part of their game plan for that. But he's the best runner they have. So if they're able to get him in space, um, to create that and move the chains and you know it's it's the same old we we've played the chiefs now this will be the fourth consecutive season the ravens and chiefs have played a football game and the game plan kind of remains the same every time it's can you you know drag out shorten the game basically long drives time of possession uh and but to your point that's required on cohesion and improvement on the offensive line Chiefs have two big studs. Chris Jones is a beast, probably better than anyone the Raiders certainly have on the defensive line, and Frank Clark's around as well. Um, are they going to be a problem? If they are, it's going to be a long afternoon, uh, or long night, rather, for the Ravens. Um, but I, I am at least a little hopeful that we might see just a little more from the running game, perhaps, in this game. The fact that you just said... The thing I'm optimistic about is we might see more from the running game from the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, tells you all you need to know about this game. Uh, to answer every one of those questions you had, Antonio, no. I don't think anything can get fixed in this amount of time. I think everybody – I think the Chiefs are better than the Raiders in every single way. And so if we play like we did on Monday night, it's going to be a bloodbath and this one's going to be over early. And, you know, frankly, I'll get to go to bed, which might not be the worst thing in the world. Um <laughs> I think this game, my, my only two takeaways on this, if the Ravens have any sort of chance whatsoever, uh, this has to be a Lamar legendary game. This is, has to be one that they're showing before he walks up in Canton and makes his speech about being a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like I think that he's going to have to do it all. No turnovers, 150 yards on the ground, 250 yards passing and you know, a combined six touchdowns or something ridiculous like that. Um, on the defensive side of the football, <sighs> Wink, I love you, buddy. I love you to death. We all know this. I think it's time to give up the blitz in this game. Uh, this comes from Warren Sharp of Sharp Football, and if you if you watch football, you know who he is. And this just he just tweeted this tonight. Quote: The Ravens blitz Mahomes on forty four point seven percent of dropbacks. The last three times they've played, which not is very typical for the Ravens, not really typical for anybody else. The results, 76% completion percentage, 554 yards on 8.8 yards per attempt, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. Don't do it. We've seen the, the, the new too high 
defense that's coming into the league. Brandon Staley was a big proponent of that. Now the Chargers uh, head coach. It's something that slowed the Chiefs down before. It's obviously not something that we're just going to implement a brand new system just to stop them. But he's got to make adjustments here if if he wants to keep this anywhere near close. And yeah, I don't have faith. But hey, there's there'll be more positive people. And and you know what? I got one final one because I do have to mention it because I have I know people that would be upset if I didn't. The Ravens are back at the bank with fans in prime time. Fans who have been clawing desperately to get back into that stadium in the first game they get, it's Patrick Mahomes on, on prime time. My, my good, loyal Baltimore people are going to be well pickled up. They're going to be ready to go. They're going to be angry. They're going to be mean. <laughs> They're going to have their voice, unlike me. And I think that, that that crowd could sway a couple points here and there. But, you know, that being said... I've said that before about Ravens Chiefs in prime time on Monday night you know, against Baltimore at the bank, and that didn't work out either. So who knows? That is a good point, though, Tim. This is the first time the Ravens will actually face Mahomes with a hostile crowd actually in the building. Um, so I don't think you can discount that. That being said, what concerns me <laughs> about this game, and I and I completely agree with you. I think if they win on defense, it's it's a wink game. It's he has a just fantastic game plan because I think personnel wise, the concerns we have had and talked about with that Raiders game, I think will just be magnified in this game. Patrick Mahomes is significantly better than Derek Carr. Uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, I would say, is better than Darren Waller. Tyreek Hill is significantly better than Henry Ruggs, who, truthfully, as mentioned, wasn't too much of a problem uh, for the Ravens, but Tyreek Hill is going to be. He has been. We know it. He, he, we know he is. He's very fast. I don't think Marlon Humphrey can keep up with him, because no one can, frankly, keep up with Tyreek Hill when he's running full speed. Um, so these are my concerns. It's every, as Tim said, everything the Raiders did well against the Ravens on offense uh, the Chiefs just have better versions of that. They have a better play caller. They have Andy Reid, one of the great coaches in NFL history, top ten all time in wins. Um, <laughs> they, it's it it just is a lot of forces stacking up against them, and especially as as, as Antonio mentioned, I think earlier, coming off a short week too. Um, you know, you pl- you play late on the West Coast on Monday. Game goes to overtime. They're probably not landing in Baltimore until six a.m. Tuesday, so that day's a wash. And so now they're, it's Wednesday to Sunday night that they have to prepare for this game. And you're facing the best team in the NFL over the last three seasons. Um, it, it, it's just not a recipe for success. And I, I, I worry, to Tim's point, Mahomes has lit up the blitz. And we've seen the last two games, especially against the Chiefs, um, the 2018 game, significantly closer. Ravens should have won that game, if you remember how that ends. Uh, but the tw- last two, the 2019 and the 2020 games, the Ravens just fall in big holes early. And this, you know, to Tim's said, Lamar, unless he bees legendary, could dig out of the out to, out of the hole. The Ravens have proven they ha- they can't to this point uh, in the Lamar era, at least like to the degree of the holes they've fallen in against the Chiefs the last few years. So I'm not super optimistic. Chiefs offense is the best in the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes is the best QB in the NFL. And I think it could be a long night if they don't sort some stuff out. I don't think it's – I'm not going to go so far as to say it's going to be a blowout because even in the game last year where the Ravens were worse than the Chiefs pretty much all game, 
it was a seven-point game in the fourth quarter. The, the Ravens cut it, they worked at it, they worked away, and they had a chance, in theory, to win that game. If you don't blitz, which I agree with Tim, as, as we saw, the last game that the Chiefs lost was the Super Bowl of last season, where Tampa Bay was able to get pressure, and a lot of it with four. You gotta get pressure with four. Like, Justin Houston, this is why you're here. Uh, oh wait, this is why the Ravens drafted you. The Chiefs tackle struggled a bit against the Browns in pass coverage. Orlando Brown Jr., one name that we will be hearing probably 25,000 times during the broadcast. Uh, I mean, granted, the, those pass rushers were Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. Uh, but that, you know, Both that's, former number one <laughs> overall picks. <laughs> that's the weak spot, quote-unquote, that you have to exploit. Uh, and try to do it with four. Clays Campbell, you know, try to disrupt uh, in the middle of in the middle of the line there. I thought he had some nice some nice plays against the Raiders, uh, disrupting. And then you need the tip ball that becomes an interception. Uh, you need the busted play offensively that turns into a Hollywood eighty yard touchdown catch or something like that. And you stay close, and then you make it a, a coin flip late in the game. Uh, I had four questions in my notes here, and it was about the line, can the Ravens D make enough plays, can Lamar avoid turnovers, and finally, can I motivate myself to pick Ravens plus three and a half? Uh, Maybe it's, you know, Chiefs end up winning by a field goal, but no, no, I cannot. I I cannot motivate myself enough. Uh, Too many issues last week, not enough time. Um, And so I'm taking the Chiefs, sadly, at minus three and a half as we pivot now to our gambling section. If you guys have more on the game, uh, feel free to, to add to it when we get to it. But in the gambling, last week, 1-2, and two, not the greatest start, won the Seahawks pick, and then I lost the Ravens pick, which should never have happened, and then my tees all, all fell apart. But we're back this week, and we're going to correct it. I'm taking the Chiefs, minus 3.5. I'm taking the L.A. Rams at minus 4 at Indianapolis. I liked Seattle over the Colts on the road, and they took care of that game, so I'm very much going to like the Rams on the road against Indianapolis uh, at about the same price with the minus four. I I realized in the past, I don't take a lot of dogs in my picks. I'm sort of a favorites guy and hope that two or three, you know, the majority of them hit, but I'm taking a dog here, a small one, and that's the Cowboys at plus three on the road against the L.A. Chargers I'm just going value here. I get this game is in Los Angeles. I think the Chargers are fine. I think Herbert's good. But the Cowboys showed me a lot against uh, the Bucks, specifically the offense against that Bucks defense in, in week one. And they have a lot of rest here. They played Thursday. They get the extra few days to prepare for this game. So I like the Cowboys at plus three there. And then Arizona, who absolutely took care of Tennessee in week one, they are... Only giving three and a half points to the Minnesota team that just lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. Don't believe in Minnesota. Don't like them. Arizona's at home in this one. So I am all over Arizona at minus three and a half against the Vikings. Yeah, I like that one a lot, actually, too. And, you know, we're not going to do all the same picks. So I'll give a little different here. It's Chiefs by three and a half. It's Chiefs by four and a half. It's Chiefs by six and a half. It's Chiefs. Um <laughs> I have the L.A. Rams minus four away to Indianapolis as well. Basically the same story you were talking about. The Colts, I think the Colts are bad. I think Carson Wentz is not good. I think Quentin Nelson's health is an issue. 
Um, and I won't go basically the same thing you did, so I won't go with the Arizona pick, but I'm going to pick another dog. Cincinnati, away to Chicago, plus two. I like what I saw from Cincy. I think they're, they're, they're a feisty team, and Chicago's simply not. And until they actually just put fields in, I think that could end up being a nightmare. And that defense is not what it used to be either. So for me, I'm going to take Cincinnati away, plus two as well. I, uh, I love underdogs. That's been a theme for me throughout, but it scares me. I've been, I've been riding favorites early in this, uh, this NFL season and I'm keep, I'm doing it again, uh, today. Chiefs three minus three and a half for all the reasons we talked about, unfortunately. Um, I'm with Antonio on the Cardinals minus three and a half Minnesota, you know, lost to a Bengals team that what won three, four games last year. It was not great. Uh, and you know, Chandler Jones, uh, a pending free agent that I'm now somehow desperately trying to figure out how the Ravens sign next year. Uh, you know, he, he he's led the NFL in sacks before, and he's off to a great start to do it again this year because he had five against the Tennessee Titans and Taylor Luan in particular, the former Pro Bowl left tackle. He just got beat time and time again. And it just... I don't want to say it makes me sad, but it makes me think of the possibilities. Uh, what if we had a pass rusher like that? It's so, it's so, he single-handedly, this guy single-handedly changed the game. It was incredible. Um, and then the, the, the other uh, pick for, uh, for me for this week is um, Saints minus three and a half uh, against Carolina. Um, I'm not actually sure. Oh, it's in Carolina. So the Saints are at Carolina, but I was impressed, you know. I, I liked what I saw from the Saints, and I think um, Sean Payton's a great coach, and am I going to believe in Sam Darnold? I don't think so against a Sean Payton team. I just – I don't see it. I think I think the Panthers have made some good strides under Matt Rule, but I think they're still in the midst of a rebuild, quite frankly. And I think the Saints are – you know, this is the team that's won the NFC South four straight years, uh, and – they look like, you know, we had questions about their quarterback position, but if Jameis can m- minimize the mistakes, which is always a big if with them, I think they'll be a contender in that division. And so I think they can go on the road and cover that spread um, uh, early in the season, especially a Panthers, you know, 19-14 over the Jets in week one. That's fine, but they weren't impressive. So, um, yep, that's it for me. Uh, Saints rounds out my uh, picks for the week. All winners. All winners there. Uh, Chase, why don't you read the random Raven clues for us one more time, and then we get on out of here. Let me uh, pull it up here. Um, So this running back was brought in by the Ravens during training camp in 2001 following the season-ending knee injury suffered by second-year star Jamal Lewis. He rushed for 658 yards and 168 attempts for the Ravens in that 2001 campaign, totals that both led the team, and added three rushing touchdowns, which was second on the team. Um, the 2001 campaign with the Ravens proved to be the final season of a productive career for the then 33-year-old running back. He was drafted by Minnesota in the ninth round of the 1990 NFL Draft and compiled 8,614 yards and 73 touchdowns on the ground in his career and was named to the 1996 Pro Bowl with Washington after he rushed for a league-high 21 touchdowns that year. And then the final clue... This player's number 29 was immediately handed to sixth-round pick and foreigner random Raven Chester Taylor the next season as the Ravens drafted a running back to serve as a backup to the now uninjured Jamal Lewis. 
Oh, man. I mean, it, it just proves that Tim and I had a good weekend, I think, uh, overall, <laughs> that we cannot come up with his name. Jace, I have, like, three different ideas run i mean it's not right but i'm gonna say the last name is Rhodes, but i can't i can't remember who this is it is not Rhodes. uh this is the one the only tim any guesses i guess before i reveal i'll say or... i mean stephen davis but that's wrong no not stephen davis this was uh, actually the, basically the guy who was washington's running back before stephen davis it is terry allen oh i don't even know who that is i have no, I have yeah. no idea <laughs> this is the first random raven in a long time where i can't even Nothing. The Ravens leading rusher in 2001. (laughs) Yeah, the Elvis Gerback year. That's one that I love to remember fondly. (laughs) It was a tough year, but... I was thinking of Anthony, uh, a lot of it. And then I was like, that can't be it. Allen, instead. Yeah, Terry Allen, they kind of plucked him off the scrap heap. He only rushed for 179 yards and four games for New Orleans in 2000. Spent the 99 season with Washington. But he had a good uh, four-year run with North Turner's uh, Washington uh, Redskins squad there. And then uh, he was with Minnesota for a few years as well, the first four seasons of his career. Uh, eclipsed 1,000 yards three, uh, four separate times in his career. Kind of an underrated good running back of the 90s. Um, but, yeah, played out the string, the final... Final season of his career with the Ravens, uh, the defending Super Bowl champs after Jamal Lewis went down. and uh, Yeah, he wasn't quite Jamal Lewis, but that's no fault of Terry Allen's. He had a great career, but uh, yeah, Terry Allen, random Raven for the week. If any listener, and you know, on a rule here, but if any listener got this correct, let us know. We will give you a shout out on the next episode because we were stumped here this week. Um, so you deserve first time little, in a long yeah, time. You deserve a little call out for that if you uh, if you were all over Terry Allen. Maybe you uh, like me recently watched uh, the full slate of Ravens Hard Knocks from two thousand one. All right, that's gonna do it for us. A uh, a somber week one, but hopefully some some positive news or maybe some some positive flashes uh, next week after this Sunday night Chiefs game. If you are gonna be at that game, make a lot of noise. Uh, first game in a long time with uh, with fans in that stadium. For Tim Horsey and Jace Evans, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you, as always, for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.